Well, this morning I have entitled the message, In Christ. And what I really want to get down to this morning is discovering what our identity is in Christ. Because how many of you guys, if you've been saved, you are in Christ this morning. And when that happens, some things about you change. There are some uh, who you were fundamentally changed. And if people ask you who you are, you would probably have many answers that you could give them. You could say, I am a father, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I, I work here. You know, and I do all these different things. So we have these answers about who we are. But to be a successful Christian, uh, and what I mean by being a successful Christian is to live the life that God wants you to live the, and, and fulfill the purpose that He wants you to fulfill, is that we have to be able to answer this question as well, who we are, particularly who we are in Christ. And we have to be able to say it without any timidity, without any fear, with a boldness, and have a firm conviction in our heart of who we actually are in Christ. And the reality is is that we can have this boldness of who we are in Christ because it is His work inside of us. How many of you know that it's a good thing that who we are in Christ has nothing to do with us? That's a real good thing. And also the, the reality is, is that who we are determines what we do. You've heard me say that before, but who we are determines what we do. When we were sinners, we sinned. But now that we are in Christ, now that we are saints, we're not sinners, that we're saints, and there's going to be a question on that later, but we are saints, not sinners, so we do those things, we do saintly things, we live our lives according to what Christ has accomplished in us. And today we're going to realize that the truth is, is that every, every attack against you in this world is a fundamentally a question of, of who you are. It's a, it's a question of your identity, amen? So let's get started. In Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you were the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You're going to notice that when the devil came to tempt Jesus, he kept asking the same question. He said, If you are the Son of God. Then again down down here, If you are the Son of God. And once again, and said to him, All these to give you in worship. First he questioned who he was, and then he tried to give him something he already had. But ultimately, every attack of the enemy, and it was no different for Jesus, because Jesus was tempted in every way that that we are, so Jesus dealt with the same stuff that we did, but every attack of the enemy ultimately asks who you are. And the enemy will also try to offer you something that you already have, the two things you're going to see. And I know I've seen it so many times in my life, because I'll be tempted by something, and the devil will say, 
well, if you're, if you're really saved, if you're really this, why did you do that the other week? If you're, if you're really saved, why did, you, why did you do this? Why did you live like that? And that's what we'll continue to ask you. If you're, if you're really righteous, why did you do this? If you're really holy, why did, if you're really strong, why did you act weak in this situation? Or begin to question who you are. And we have to be able to answer the response to the devil when he begins to question us in these things. And then he's going to go ahead and, and offer you something that you already have. And this is the crazy one because he does it all the time. He's going to try to tempt you with something. And he's going to, he's going to promise life. It's going to promise happiness. It's going to promise joy. That's the, the root of all these sins is the devil trying to, to get people to, to, to get something that they already have if they're Christians or that they could have if they're not in Jesus Christ. He says, if you'll just go ahead and, and party with his people, you're going to be happy. When the reality is, is that our, our happiness, our joy comes from the Lord. He says, if you'll just go do these things, you're going to be strong. But our strength comes from the Lord. And he begins to offer things that we already have. Just like here he said to Jesus, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you fall down and worship me. How many know that there's no other name above Jesus' name? These kingdoms are already his. And the devil offers it to him. And then up here he says, if you are the Son of God... He says it twice, if you are the Son of God, he said, do these things. And he says, you know, you need to prove who you are. If you are, if you are, if you are. And I love the way Jesus answers, because he answers them the same way twice, with the Word of God. His answer is always the Word of God. If you ever want to deal with temptation, you want to deal with the devil messing with your life, pull out your Bible and begin to quote Scripture back to him. When he says, when he says that, no, you're, you're, you're not righteous. Look at those things you did. You can say, and we're going to go through a bunch of them today, and you can write these scriptures down so you can have them at, at the ready. But you can say, no, I am righteous in Christ. I am redeemed in Him. I am strong in Him. I am loved by God. All these things that you are, you can answer. And the reality is, is that who you are, like I said, determines what you do. That's why it's crazy when we expect people that aren't saved to act like they're saved. They're not saved. Why would we expect them to act that way? But once you get saved, something changes. You can finally live the life that God calls you to live. Let me read you something. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this, is, this is a true statement. None of these things will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I want you to know that Paul's not pointing out actions. Paul's not pointing out people doing homosexual things, people doing lying. He's talking, he's talking identity. These are who these people are. But he says such were some of you, when you get saved, you're changed. You're not who you were. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. And that's who you were. These, these, are, these are identities, not actions. And we have to get that. Because if you read this and you, and you see these as actions, you're going to mess your head up because you think every time you mess up, you're going straight to hell. When the reality is, is you were clean, you were washed, you were made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. And your salvation, your ticket to heaven, if you will, is secured in what he has accomplished, not in the things that you've done. And such were some of you. That's always the answer to the devil when he says, no, you're, you did this. Like, That's who I was. That's what I used to do. That man's dead and gone. He died with Jesus and 
I have a new life inside of me that rose up with him. In Acts 19, 13 through 16, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. The question is going to be asked, but who are you? This is a crazy story. I read this, and I remember reading this and thinking that there's going to be times when the enemy is going to come against me. There's going to be times when, and that question, like, terrified me because there was a, there was a, a brief moment, there's that brief uh, a fear in your head, like, what if I'm in that position? And they go, I know Paul. I know, I know uh, Jesus. I know, you know, I know Pastor Mike. That's my pastor. But who are you? to come and, and proclaim these things. And I remember telling Pastor Mike once that, I'm like, I read that story and it makes me kind of nervous because these guys got their butts kicked. I mean, they just got wobbed. They didn't have any, I mean, even using the name of Jesus, it, it, there was no power behind it because there was no faith behind it. They were just trying, oh, I, I saw it on an infomercial. This is what Jesus did, so I'm going to go ahead and try and give it a shot. It worked for him. Maybe it'll work for me. And it didn't turn out that way because what happened was you got to realize is that they were imitating Christians. They were Im- they, to, to imitate, to look like, is not enough. There has to be, be united with real faith. That's why the whole good, you can't just be a good person and make it into heaven. Because that's just an imitation. Nothing was fixed. There's still a fundamental flaw that has to be repaired. And that happens in Jesus. But the reality is, is that question is going to be asked and asked of you. Who are you? And do you have an answer? What are you going to say when they ask, who are you? What are you going to say when you go back home to, to people you went to, to school with and they say, wait a minute, you're not a Christian. I know who you are. I went to school with you. I know." What are you going to say when they say, no, that's not you. Do you have an answer? The question is going to be asked no matter who you are. Back to the story, I was telling Pastor Mike this. I said, what, what, what if this happens? And he looked me in the eyes and says, the devil knows who you are. And right now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are operating in his name, if you've been born again, the devil knows who you are. And when he asks who I am, the next few, few uh, uh, verses we go through, you're going you're gonna to know what to answer. The first thing I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, you are chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It says, But you are a chosen race. And in Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, as he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has also blessed us in the beloved. We need to understand that God chose us. When the devil begins to question you, the first thing you can say to him is, God chose me. Me. Not you. You got kicked out. He chose me. And... That's an amazing thing. Just as I was praying this morning when I think about that, I mean, God is, is 
so much higher. He's, I mean, he's, he's perfect, he's pure, he's holy, he's so much higher than us. And it's why David cried out, who, who am I and who are my people? Because it's, it's mind-boggling if you think about it. But he chose us. God made a conscious decision to choose us. And it was so important to him that he gave up his own son. You see, he says, we're a chosen race of royal priests. You know the Jews had a priesthood, right? We know the Jews had a Levitical priesthood. We are a priesthood. He made us priests. We no longer have to go through somebody to speak to God. We don't have to go to the priest. We don't have to go to the temple. We can just speak to him face to face because Jesus is our mediator. And when we stand before God in Christ... When God looks down, He sees the spirit of His Son. He doesn't see who we used to be. He doesn't see that old person that was doing dumb stuff and, and made all those mistakes. He sees His Son. He sees Jesus Christ. It's actually why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because when we go to God, we're standing in the same position as Jesus Christ. That's who He sees. And the reason that's possible is because He chose us. And because He chose us, we are now the people of God. That's, that's good news. We received mercy and we didn't get what we deserved. Did you know that from day one, from the fall of Adam, God has been coming to us. God has been looking for us. He's been in the, art, in the, in the, in the garden when, when, when Adam sinned and they were hiding and they were putting on fig leaves and all those different things. He's calling out to Adam, where are you? I want you to know that, that God wasn't confused. He knew exactly where Adam was. You know, God's all-knowing. But he was giving Adam a chance to respond even then because he was looking for them. He had, he had chosen. He made him. He had chosen him. He didn't want to lose them. And then it says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus. Every man and woman was created to be a son of God. Predestined. With the only thing standing in our way is ourselves. It's not God that put a stumbling block in. It's us. We either, we either receive what He's made provision for or we, we reject it. But the reality is, is that provision has been made. He predestined for all of us to be adopted as sons and daughters. This predestination, destiny, doesn't mean requirement, but rather a choice that we all have. But it's available to everyone because He has chosen all of us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Next, you need to understand that you are alive. This is an important thing to, to, to come to recognize because in your sins you were dead. Ephesians 2, 4-6, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. The great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Since the fall, since Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, since that day, man has been dead. Spiritually dead. There was a, a death that took place right then, and that's, that's where all this started. That's, that's why the covenants remained with God. That's why the priesthood came into place as a type and a shadow of, of what's to come. And then he sent his son to give us that life that we had. When Adam was, when Adam was created, when Eve was created, they were full-grown men and women with no past. They had no history. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They had never made a mistake. They had nothing. They were a clean slate. They were right with God. 
But ever since they fell from that moment forward, none of us have had a clean slate. And then we live our lives, and, and if you want, you know, people, some people get upset that they're, that they're, they're held to, to be a, held account of what something that Adam did. And, and I've talked about that before, and I'm sure I'll go into it again someday. We won't go too much today, but let me just say that's a good thing in the end, because we are held responsible for one man's actions. That means that, that we can be redeemed by one man's actions. So it's a good thing. But the reality is, is that since that time, none of us have been clean. None of us, we, we all have a background. We've all lived our lives. We've all made mistakes. We have shame and we have failures and all these things. But the moment that you got saved, you're restored to the same position that Adam was in. That means that all those mistakes, all those failures, they were removed from you as far as the east is to the west. And, and, and you've been made alive where you once were dead in your trespasses. You're alive again and they're pushed away. And you're a man just like Adam with no past with no history, with nothing to be ashamed of because they were white and clean in Jesus Christ. And he made you alive together with him. Pastor Billy Hall, um, in, a, in a 2013 Activate conference, he said that dead men have no options. And this is a really poignant statement from him because if you know anything about his history, he was a man that was, uh, as far as I'm aware, he was convicted of murder and he was uh, put in prison and, and God touched his life in prison. And he got well and truly saved and he got, now he's doing incredible work in Ethiopia through Praise Chapel. He's planted dozens upon dozens of churches and he's doing an incredible work there. But he, he understood what that meant because he was, he, was he, was he was a dead man walking in prison with nothing. He had no options and then God touched his life and it changed everything. And I don't know all the details. I don't know how he got out or what all happened there, but I do know that God worked in his life, and he is not the same man he used to be. He once was dead, but now he's alive both literally and spiritually. Amen? Because we're made alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I am the life. Without him, we are dead. That's why people have no hope in this world, because they, they, even if they don't have a conscious understanding of it, there's, there's something that testifies in our spirit that lets us know that something is not right, and it's why they're searching for something in anything, trying to fill that hole, when it's Jesus who would give them life. So we learn that in Christ we are chosen, and in Christ we are alive. We've also been made brand new. This is one of my favorite scriptures, one of the first ones I ever memorized. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone isn't in Christ, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It's kind of like, you guys ever seen those flow charts? Like maybe at a call center or something, it's like, uh, the person called, they want the checking department or the credit department, and, you know, here, go here. And there's a little arrow, so it's a little flow chart how to get everywhere. Basically, this is the way the flow chart works concerning Jesus. It says, in Christ, and if the answer is yes, then you're brand new. If the answer is no, you're still in your sin. It's a, it's a, it's a simple, simple test. A simple, if you're in Christ, you've been made brand new. You're not who you were. You're a brand new creation. But if the answer is no, you're still a son of disobedience. You're still in your sins, and you have no hope, and you have no future. But in Christ, you're brand new. Do you understand what kind of good news that is? I mean, it's like I always think about a, uh, when you're going car shopping. And if you were out there going car shopping and somebody had a car and they slapped a fresh coat of paint on it and they put it on the market and it's got 120,000 miles, but they made it look perfect. I mean, they put new paint, new interior, new carpet, new tires, new rims. They, they, they changed everything on the outside. If you looked on the, I mean, it was brand new. And they put it on the market and they said, this is a brand new car. 
as soon as we looked at the title and saw there's 120,000 miles on it, we'd all call foul. This isn't a new car. You made it look pretty, but it's not new. I mean, it looks nice. It looks good. But look, you hear all the, the, the knocking when you start the motor up. It's still leaking oil, blowing smoke. It looks pretty, but there's something wrong on the inside. You see, that's kind of what the law did. Is it, it made things clean on the outside, but the inside was still messed up, was still blowing smoke, and, and the valves were still knocking. But the truth is, in Jesus Christ, we are made completely brand new. There's not, it's not just a fresh coat of paint. That's what I love about what Jesus did, is, is, is he fixed the problem that was inside of us. He gave us a new spirit, and it made us brand spanking new, just off the lot. Haven't even pulled the mat off the, off the carpet on the inside yet. I mean, we're brand new. That's what Jesus, it's not like a used car that's made to look nice. It's not like a band-aid put on the problem, but in him we are brand new. That's why when the devil comes at you and says, hey, I know, that's not right. I know what you used to do. You say, no, that's who I was. You're looking at a new model, baby. This is, this is good stuff right here. I get good gas mileage and I do zero to 60. And What's a good zero to 60 nowadays? I mean, cars go fast nowadays. Who's doing the tape? Record, get rid of that uh, illustration. It didn't work out. <laughs> but we're brand new in him. Amen. That's good news. Amen. Next, you need to understand that you are holy. And this is probably one that most people have the most trouble with. Especially in a, in a, in a society when the world says that if, if you're not doing everything perfect, then you can't be this way. The good news is it has nothing to do with what you've done, but only what he's done. Ephesians 1, 1.4 says, Even as he chose us, there's that chosen again as well, but even as he chose us and in before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose that we should be holy and blameless, and this is in Jesus Christ. Then it goes on in 1 Peter 1, 14-16, says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as is he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He chose us for the foundation of the world to be holy because of the work that he's done. That means that even if you make a mistake, as long as you get back up, as long as you continue in the faith, you making a mistake does not make you unholy. Because he's already cleaned you. He's already made you. He's the one that's done it. He chose you to be blameless before him. And this holiness is to be set apart for him. And then blameless. That's a blameless. Can you believe that? I mean... I don't know what kind of lives you guys have lived, but I know some of the stuff I've done in my life, and that's, that blows me away that I can stand before him blameless, that he's paid for all the stupid things that I've done. And I have a feeling I'm not unique in this room. Well, I am unique, but not in this situation here. We're completely free from all that stuff that was before us. Because he chose us to be holy. And that's so good that it's not because of what we've done. How many of you have at one time thought that you had to fix yourself? That you had to get things right with God? You had to work stuff out? I remember there was a time when I was younger, I thought that I kept thinking that I have to, do, I have to get right with God. I have to do these things. I have to start living right and do these things. And, and I kept failing. I kept falling down over and over. And what it did is it, it never made me holy. It just made me guilty. 
feel guilty. It just made me feel shame and all these failures. And then I began to, to get a grasp of what actually a concept That's not to do anything with what I've done. It has to do with what he's in, inside of me. And then as I got a hold of who I was in him, then I began to live out those things. It was when I stopped trying to fix myself instead of just trying to live in God, then all of a sudden I was living the way he intended me to live all along because it was the work he did inside of me, not the work. Of, and I was, I was holy. And that's a, not only, not only is, it a, is it an amazing thing to let you live your life, but it will also go ahead and, and free yourself to know that you can speak to God, that you can be in his presence because you are holy. Because he made you that way. I love down here where it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And in one aspect, we look at that, it is true. It says, God's holy. We need to be holy. If we're going to be in his presence, that's the life we need to live. We need to... to but the, the, the problem is the cart before the horse thinking. We think that we have to be right, do everything right, so we can be holy. When instead we need to be thinking, no, because you're holy... Out of that, out of that will flow living a life that is pleasing to God. And I love what he says here. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. I think in some ways that's, that's, that's a statement of fact. That's not a command. He's not saying, hey, I'm holy, so you need to live your life holy. He's saying, because I am holy, you are holy. Why, why are you holy? Because I am. And I chose you to be holy. I said, because Jesus is holy, we are. And we stand, like I said before, when we stand before God, He sees His Son. He doesn't see our past failures because we are brand new. We're also redeemed in Ephesians 1, 7-9. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That's double good news. One, it's we're forgiven for our trespasses, but it's according to the riches of His grace. Amen to that. We don't, we, there, there's not a, a limited pool. It's not like we're going to hit a limit like you're, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, cross the line too late. It's the riches of His grace, which is inexhaustible. It never runs out. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. His will is for us to be redeemed according to His purpose purpose which he set forth in Christ. Did you know to, to redeem something is to, to buy it or to pay it off? Like when you go in and you, you redeem a coupon, you're trading it in for what's on the, on the face value, right? Or it's like in a... And for, for Jesus, what that means is, is he, he paid that value for us. He, he redeemed what was, what was on our face value, what had to be paid, which we know the wages of sin is death, is right? Or like last week when I talked about the story about the, 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 the judge who, who took off his robes and got down and, and, and redeemed and paid the fine. It's just like that. He redeemed us. Jesus Christ paid the price for us. And the, the debt wasn't just washed away. The debt had to be paid. The wages of sin is death. There's no two ways about that. There's no getting around it because God is a just God. He is a holy God. So it had to be paid. And he paid it in his son. He redeemed it. Redeemed us in him. And the mystery of his will is that none should perish, but that all would come to salvation. Salvation wasn't just for the Jewish people, but it was for all of us. Jews, Gentile, everyone in this room. We also, when the devil comes knocking on our way, saying, saying things about us, saying you can't do this, you can't, we, you need to know that we are able in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. How many things can we do? All things. There is nothing 
that is so hard in this life that we can't do in Him. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul said this, he said, For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's actually uh, the song, you know, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He is, he is uh, I am weak, but he is strong. It's actually a misquoting of this verse. He doesn't say, I am weak and, and God is strong. What he says is, when I'm weak, then I am strong. And what he's saying is, because when we're weak, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles we come through when we're good at something, when we're, when we're uh, talented or gifted in an area. Did you ever notice those sort of things? That's the thing you don't really call on God very often. Because you figure you can take care of yourself. But when in our weakness, when we know that we can't do it, then God can move because we let Him instead of letting us. And because of that, we're made strong because we're operating in His strength. In our weaknesses, we can more easily trust God and then we can operate and walk in His glory. And the truth is, is that we need the strength. We need to be able. We need to be able to do these things because as soon as you become a Christian, it doesn't mean your life gets easier. In a lot of ways, it's going to get harder. You'll not deal with some stuff that you might have, but there'll be a lot of things that if you wouldn't have got saved that you'll deal with that you never would have if you wouldn't have gotten saved. But the reality is, the Scripture says, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's going to be with us the entire time, and He's going to give us the strength to overcome because it's His strength inside of us. Amen? So you can tell the devil, I am able. Then you can tell him, I'm more than a conqueror as well. In Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What are all these things that it's referring to? If you read the couple verses before, in Romans 8, 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? These are all these things that we are more than conquerors. In Romans 8.35, that same, this, this uh, uh, same verse, it says that, 8.37, sorry, in the New American Standard Version, it doesn't say we are more than conquerors, but it says that we overwhelmingly conquer. And I like that one, because to, to whelm something, the word whelm is to, to completely submerge, to completely, uh, to, to, to deal with it. It's completely engulfed. And that's to whelm. So what does it mean to overwhelm? That means even more so. That means that, that all this stuff is dealt with in him. And we are more than a conqueror. The, the stuff that, that, that the devil wants to come and say, it's going to destroy you. It's going to end your life. If we will put our faith in Jesus Christ and walk with him, no matter how bad it gets, we're going to come out the other side. Because it means we will conquer, that we, we are victorious in him. And the truth is, the enemy is completely defeated. And we have authority over him in Jesus Christ. You're also qualified. This is one where the, the guilt and, and internal shame begins to, to gnaw away at us as we begin to, to, to take inventory of our life and realize that somehow we, we begin to think that we don't live up. But the good news is it's not, it's not our works, it's not our actions that qualify us, but rather what he's done inside of us. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. He has qualified us. God's will is that none should perish, that we would be whole and that we'd be healthy, that we would minister the gospel, and that we are, this, the scriptures that we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might to do those things, that we're strengthened to, to bear fruit in every good work, that we're to increase in the knowledge of God, and we're strengthened according to his might. And then it says we're, we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. Anybody ever had to, to, to qualify for a loan? Or like, I had to qualify for a home loan once. And man, they want some stuff. They were asking me questions about Joseph, and they didn't even know I knew him. I mean, they wanted to know everything. And, they, and they, 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 there's so many things that you have to declare. I mean, do you make this much money? Do you, have you been working so long? Where's your last 37 addresses? You know, they want to know about your kids. They want to know about your tax returns. They want to know about your bank account. It always cracks me up. They want to know how much is in my bank account right this second. Depend. I mean, if it's right after payday, I got, a, I got a little bit in there. But if it's two days after payday, it's all gone to pay bills. So what's it matter what's in my bank account right now? <laughs> But they want to know all these things because you have to be qualified to, to, to receive anything from that. Or you'll see the ads for, for people going to get a car loan and it's like, you know, negative 4.2% interest rate if you're well-qualified, well-qualified buyers. And I, I don't know what you've got to do to get that kind of interest rate. But they, they're looking for, for qualifications. And then if we take a step back and we start looking at our life, we start examining it, and we're like, man, nope, don't make that one. Don't make that one. Nope, nope, no, don't make that one. And we begin to think, because those are the things, right? To, am I holy? Yeah, on my own, I'm not. Am I strong on my own? I'm, you know, we begin to take inventory. And we're like, I don't know. But in Christ, we are qualified for the inheritance of the saints in light. We've been qualified through him. So when the devil comes up to you and says, no, you, you, you don't make it, you don't, you, don't, you don't cut the mustard, you can say, oh, no, I, I do. Scripture says I am qualified in him. You're also victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious over sin in Jesus and that's a hard one to believe because sometimes we live our lives and, and what happens is we, we forget that we're victorious and we slip into some old habits and some old ways. We forget these things. Matter of fact, if you can just get a hold of, of this, these 14 or so points that I made that who we are, if you could grasp that, you would live a sinless life. You would live a victorious life. You would never have a failure according to, to, to living a holy life ever again. The problem is, is we forget. Or the problem is, at least in my case, many times I'll, uh, I'll hear God reminding me, and I'm like, just, just give me a minute. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. I'm going to do something stupid. One of the things I've always said is I don't, I don't have a problem hearing God. My issue is listening to Him sometimes. I hear Him loud and clear. I just ignore Him more often than I should. But if you have, ever, if you have any, any sin, anything giving you trouble in your life, just begin to repeat this, this verse back to it. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. 
You're also born of an imperishable seed. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In our natural birth, we are born corrupted. We are born broken. And anyone who wants to say otherwise, no, as, as kids we're innocent, we learn to be, we learn to be evil. And, and Oh no, you see some of the stuff kids are doing now. You don't have to learn that. We're born broken. It's a fundamental flaw. And even little ones need Jesus. And I, I hear more and more stories of, of five and seven-year-olds killing their, their friends. and they, We're born broken. But in Christ, we're born again. And we're made brand new. And this is forever. It doesn't weaken over time. It doesn't get... This isn't like, you know, like when you look at a, a baby that's born, they have, you know, they, they have like skin on like a baby's bottom. It's all perfect and nice. But then as we get older, it gets not so nice. And then you see those, you ever seen those TV shows where they got the, the, the overly bronzed old lady where her skin looks like it was like, it's not like that. Over time, it doesn't get weaker or grosser or, or, or messed up. It's imperishable. It stays strong and it's perfect. It's based on the Word of God, which is incorruptible and it stands forever and it will not change over time. It's based on God's Word, which, is, which stands the test of time because He says, I'm not a man that I should lie or the son of man that I would change my mind. If God says it, it is. Amen? The words of man change over time. I mean, you can even look at, at our, our own country when we see the words of, of man change over time because in the beginning it was as we were one nation under God and now not so much. Or there was a separation of church and state, and everybody back then knew what was being said. What it was saying is not that we couldn't have church in our government, but that our government would stay out of our church. And now they've somehow flipped it around where they want, they want the government to stay out, or they want the church instead of the government, but the government still wants to have the right to regulate the church, which is exactly what they were not wanting to happen. We actually live with, with what's called a, a living language. One of the most irritating things to me in the world is, is how our, our language changes over time. And they've actually changed the definition of the word literally. Most annoying thing that I've ever heard. But today, they, they, because we're a living language, literally doesn't mean literally anymore. It means, it means figuratively. You know, like people were like, I literally died. No, no you didn't. <laughs> But now, because that's the way that word is used so much, they've actually changed the definition to include figuratively. It's bonkers. Drives me crazy. I know there's other words that have changed over time, but that's one word that shouldn't change. Because what word am I supposed to use now when I mean literally? Yeah, figuratively, we're just going to flip it around. But you know what? This will never change. The seed is imperishable that we're born from. Amen. Next, and this is real important, you are loved. You see, so much in life is uh, people that are lost are actually just looking for love. That's why, why men get involved with all kinds of women and women get involved with all kinds of men because they're looking for love. Because they may not have got it from their family. They may not have got it from their mom or their dad. And they're just looking for it in something, anything, anything. Because they don't know that God loves them. And they don't need all that other stuff. And the truth is that all those other people, men and women, they'll let you down. Man will let you down. But God will never let you down. 
In Romans 1.7, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This doesn't just go for the people in Rome. This is all of his saints. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Remember I told you we are going to have a test later? How many people in this room are a saint? Raise your hand. Man, finally, people are coming, coming along with this one. First time I had to ask this, I had to, I had to trick them into keeping their hand up. See, being a saint is not about uh, uh, doing a miracle, then dying, and then doing another miracle, and having some people vote you into sainthood. It's, it's, not a, it's not a title, it's an identity. When you're saved, you are a saint. It's not about what you've done, but it's who you are in Jesus Christ. And we are loved, and we are saints. But we are loved by God. And that's, it blows me away every time I think about that. Because I don't even love me sometimes. But God always does. Amen? Amen? And finally, we will end here. Is that you are a child of God. John 1, 12-13 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You are a child of God as a result of the will of God. He chose you, he loved you, and he adopted you into his family. You were given the right to be called the child of God. We were just um, going through our uh, Bible study on the book of Hosea and and, uh, Chuck Misner. Misner, Dr. Chuck Misner says, he says that, in, in the Old Testament, the idea of, of, of God being someone's individual father was, was pretty much unheard of. They refused to, referred to God as the father of the nation, but he wasn't the father of any individual person. So when Jesus came around and said, began to claim to be the son of God, and he called God father, that was something that was mine. That was brand new to them. That's why he got himself in so much trouble, because when he, when he called them father, he was actually claiming to be on equal level as him. But because of what he did, now we have that very same right to call him Father. And not just that, but the most endearing, we can call him Abba, Father, which is an endearing term. Only to those who were are, who are born of the, of, of the dad. We've been called, we're children of God. Now, I hope this morning was encouraging to you. Some of you were writing these things down, and you, these scriptures you can put and post them up everywhere to remind you of who you are in Christ. Because the reality is, is that, is that there will be a test on this, not by me and not by God, but the devil is going to ask you who you are. So, do you cower in shame, or do you begin to go through the list, and you can say, "You know what, devil? I went too far. I am chosen. I'm alive. I'm made new. I am holy." I am redeemed, I am able, I am more than a conqueror, I am qualified, I am victorious, I am born of an imperishable seed, I am loved, and I am a child of God. You let him know that, he's going to walk away, he's going to have to flee from me. Yes, he has no power when you recognize who you are in Christ. But this is who you are. And it has nothing to do with what you've done or the things that you've done or what you've accomplished. And it's all-inclusive. If you've been born again, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You are all these things. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.